It's time now for Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that shares stories from inspiring people, from a wide range of expert guests, all focused on helping you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. Gina Gardner is a multiple number one international best-selling author, motivational speaker, business coach, and trainer. She's the founder of Genuinely You and has over 30 years experience of helping people step into their genuine, authentic power, personally and professionally. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. And now, here's your host, Gina Gardner. Hello there, and a huge welcome to this week's episode of Gina Gardner and Friends. Now today, I'm joined by Anne Scotland. She's been on the show before, and she's an amazing lady. Looking forward to the conversation. Welcome, Anne. Hello, Gina, and welcome to you. <laughs> <laughs> because we are switching this up today and I'm so excited. Thank you for asking me to do Gina Gardner. What are we calling this now? What do you call it? Gina Gardner and Friends Reversed. Reversed. It's beautiful. It's beautiful so that um, your listeners can get to know more about you and what you're doing. And I've got questions I've been love dying to ask you. So this is great. And we're going to talk about authenticity today, correct? Well, it's something that I think is so important. And when you look around in the news and the media, look at politicians and business owners, there's a distinct lack of authenticity, I think. Yeah, there is. And I feel like um, authenticity is also, it's so underrated because people have literally learned to behave inauthentically on a regular basis. Um, do you feel like you see so many people, even in everyday life, behaving inauthentically? I think it comes at a number of levels. If we take it down initially to the individual level, we're almost conditioned to be inauthentic in the sense of we be what we think other people want us to be. Yes. And that starts when we're little. You know, mm -hmm. our parents have an expectation of us and we get a disapproval when we don't behave in that particular way. And mm -hmm. so we start to lose who we are authentically and we become the child that we think our parents want us to be. And we have a blueprint. The trouble is with blueprints is my blueprint is very specifically mine mm -hmm. and other people's are theirs. And unless you discuss them and you share them, people don't know. So that lack of authenticity, that being what you want, think people want you to be, then carries on as we get older. And more and more, we hide behind a mask 
Um, and then it starts to grow into, well, I'll get more of what I want if I behave in a particular way. Mm. And you can see that very much with politicians, mm -hmm. can't you? Mm -hmm. I call them the baby kissers, that they <laughs> very hail fellow well met and they shake your hand and they smile. But actually, for many of the politicians, the agenda is about me. How can I get what I want mm -hmm. by being inauthentic? Mm -hmm. And in a professional sense, I worked with two head teachers, two principals, who taught me very, very well how not to behave because of the way they turned up. And as I worked with them, I made a decision pretty early on in my career that if I ever was promoted, I would do things very, very differently. That's amazing. And um, I love hearing about Gina. So here, let me ask you another question. Like, let's learn more about Gina. So what's an example um, when you were a child or a young person where you felt like, you know, you had to behave in a sense that wasn't 100% authentic to you in order to please the people around you? I didn't ever feel as if I fitted in. I think I was one of those children that had an old head on young shoulders. And I feel that I felt right from the start. I went to several schools when I was younger. And my parents moved a number of times. And I think it's quite difficult for children who move a lot. I think, um, yeah. you know, forces children often find in the army and navy and so on. They, they are um, they are put in different places. That wasn't the case with me. But I didn't feel I fitted in. And I think my inauthenticity came because I tried so hard to fit in. And that in that trying hard to fit in, then you do anything but fit in. And so it wasn't really until I started teaching when I was the age of 21 that I found who I was. I found um, that I was very good at it, that I loved it, and I could actually be me. Uh, and I think that's when I really started to recognize that unless you are in alignment with yourself, unless you are authentic with yourself, it leads to huge amounts of unhappiness. And I was very unhappy, particularly as a teenager. And I think for many people that carries on through their lives and they start to be at ill, Ill ill at ease with themselves. And that leads to dis-ease. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we need to be really clear about who we are and how we want to turn up in this world. Yes. Yes. It's so amazing how the mind and body are connected, as you said, um, when you're ill at ease and becoming dis-ease. Um, you know, um, I'm sure you can relate in certain ways in your life, but I know that in my own life, you know, having, um, you know, I had, you know, bleeding ulcers in my stomach in my 20s because mostly of this kind of thing, inauthenticity, stress, anxiety, uh, not feeling free to be myself. So yes, I can absolutely relate to, to what you're saying. Now tell me again, remind me, um, you got into teaching and uh, you were teaching school. Um, what were you teaching at that time? So um, I taught in, in the English system. I was teaching children and we I taught all subjects, um, oh, wow, yeah. although I was trained also to teach older children. I liked the flexibility, mm -hmm. um, but I was promoted very early. 
So I became an assistant principal at the age of 28 to one of the largest schools in the uh, authority. And I was appointed to be the catalyst for change. The school was very old fashioned, um, lovely people, but things hadn't moved on. Um, And for the first six months, I worked very hard to help the then head teacher or principal to start to strategically plan how we were moving forward. And then in the um, the February half term, I went skiing and I had a very bad ski accident. I fell about yeah. 150, 200 feet down the mountain. Yeah. Um, and life was never to be the same again. Mm. I got back to school um, about a month before we finished for the school summer holidays. And within the school summer holidays, I thought I was going to have a rest and was going to really have an opportunity to recuperate because still was doing pretty badly. Mm. And then I got a phone call very early one morning to say um, that my principal had suddenly died in his sleep. Mm. So I became the acting principal and then I became the permanent principal four months And I was absolutely determined of uh, uh, three things. One, that I was going to give the children and the staff the very best possible educational experience, having worked for two head teachers or principals where their agenda was very different. Mm-hmm. That secondly, I wanted this to be a place where children could be happy, that it would give them a full range of opportunities to shine, not just academic, but in the broadest context. And thirdly, that I didn't want my lack of mobility to get in the way of achieving that. And for me, those principles stuck right the way through my 20 odd years, just over 20 years of being the principal at the school. And for a large proportion of that time, I ran my school from a wheelchair. And so my physical um, lack of mobility had a profound effect in the sense that I could not physically get into most of my classrooms. And so I had to find a way of helping staff to take radical responsibility for their own performance and a shared responsibility for the team that did not require me standing behind them saying, need to do this and stop doing that. It was incredibly successful. Wow. We were on the best 100 schools in England list twice during my tenure. And it's become the bedrock of the work that I do with people in business, people who come to me because they want their lives to be better, that taking radical responsibility is the first step, really, of authenticity. Because if you're truly taking responsibility for you, your thoughts, your actions, your words, then you have to be authentic. That is so true. And I love that story. And I love how that has so informed the work that you continue to do even beyond the school and um, learn so, so much about you. So uh, we're going to take a short break. Gina Gardner, everyone uh, can't wait to continue this conversation when we come back. Meet Rajat. He started his class's WhatsApp group and became super popular. Yeah, I was always popular, huh? Timetable changes. Celebrating class cancellations. Rehearsal updates. Sharing notes. Farewells. Crying over surprise tests. Everything happens on the group. 
Rajat may be the admin, but he's never really had to act like one. Except today. Are you really sure that this is true? No, man. It was a forward, so I know. Rajat patiently right? explained that such messages could create tension and turn people against each other. I mean, it's dangerous. Please don't do this again, yeah. Or else I'll have to remove you from the group. Come, let's go get some dosa. And then Come. it was time for the college fest, yeah. Be like Rajat. Share joy, not rumors. So, what is love? Love is being independent. Love is dancing. A Shriners Hospital for Children. Love is a new smile. At Shriners Hospitals for Children, love is caring for a child regardless of the family's ability to pay. If you know a child we can help, visit ShrinersHospitalsForChildren.org. Welcome back, everyone, to Gina Gardner and Friends Reverse today, which is why I am speaking, because today we get to interview Gina and get to know her better. And Gina, you've just shared some incredible aspects of your life and your story, and we've been focusing on authenticity and what that means, um, how as a child, often we're kind of taught not to be authentic in order to please the powers that be. And then you shared an amazing story of um, your years as a principal and even through your own trials and tribulations, how that was able, how you were able to bring permanent change and light and growth in a more positive environment. And your school was on the top hundred um, list in, in the UK for um, more than once. So that's really amazing. And then you were wrapping up um, right before the break, sharing, you know, how that has really informed your work, uh, that you work that you do now. So tell us a little bit more about how authenticity um, is a big part of what you live and what you teach and, and how, um, how you bring that to your clients. So I work with business leaders um, and I work with them strategically. And one of the things, again, the principle runs through, and I'll talk about different groups of people, but one of the things is that you have to walk your talk. There are too many leaders who say, uh, do this, but they do something quite different. So let me give you a minor example. Very often within the core values of the firm, it'll talk about respecting one another. And then you'll hear a, a, a leader dressing down somebody because they've made a mistake in front of everybody else or joining in the gossip. And when you challenge that and say, can you tell me where's the respect in that? It brings people up short. That's a small example, but I'll give you another example. I was working with, with a, a, a guy who ran a very successful manufacturing firm. They created wood floors. They did the finish. And he was complaining about the fact that his staff um, wouldn't wear their steel-capped uh, uh, steel uh, steel toe shoes. Mm -hmm. And I said to him, well, there's no, first and foremost, there's no consequences. He said, well, it's in the handbook. And I said, well, you know, you are not taking steps to make sure that that happens. And ultimately, if there was a bad accident, you'll be culpable. But more, more importantly, to start with, we've just walked through the manufacturing floor. What have you got on your feet? 
And what have you allowed me to walk through on that floor? I'm wearing high heels. You're wearing trainers. Where's the modeling that? I didn't know that that was a rule. Now, either we have to put on stoke, get my teeth back in, steel clothes, shoes, or we walk round to the other entrance, which is a little bit further, and we avoid the manufacturing floor. But you have to walk your talk. Mm -hmm. If you then think I work a lot with empaths, empaths are very good at telling people how they need to love themselves, how they need to nurture um, themselves, how it's important to let go of old baggage. You know, as a group, empaths are incredibly good at holding on to old baggage and not loving themselves <laughs> at all. Again, they need to walk their talk. It's so much easier to tell somebody what to do than to do it yourself. And then when I'm working with individuals and they come with all sorts of different things, one of the things that I talk to them about is do you treat yourself as you treat other people? And so we talk about treating yourself as you would a really good friend and being authentic about it. So if a friend does something wrong, do you go on and on and on at them? Well, what's that voice doing in your head? Is it going on and on and on? You know, if you love somebody, are you feeding them cream cakes to the point of diabetes? Or do you take note of their needs um, and you want to feed them a healthy diet. So authenticity comes at so many levels. But ultimately, I think one of the easiest ways is if you have your core values, imagine them above a horizontal line. And any behaviours above the, the horizontal line are in line with your core values. Anything below is not. And so once you've identified the behaviours that you need to experience in order for those values to be met, it's much easier then to see yourself approaching that line and stop yourself. Or once you've gone below the line to get yourself back up the line, above the line as quickly as possible. So it requires a little bit of self-knowledge. But ultimately, being authentic means that your the quality of your life changes hugely for the better. Mm, that's so beautiful. And I love what you shared about how much it, how it's easy for uh, people, especially teachers, nurturers, coaches, empaths, uh, to to hand out the advice to love yourself. And um, so and yet you need to practice what you preach, just like in your story, you know, how do you authentically live by example? So I think that's a really good question, which is, how do we, I mean, that's the big question, right? How do we learn to love ourselves? Because I think sometimes when it's our own self that we tend to beat up and blame and, you know, uh, we're like, well, I'm actually being authentic with myself right now because I failed. I disappointed people. I let people down. I, this is, these are facts and I, I deserve to, you know, emotionally suffer because as consequences, and this is not how you would show love to a friend. So tell us a little bit, let's dig into that a little bit more. Like, how do we learn to practice loving ourselves? Because I think that is one of our greatest challenges. I have to say that I've learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. I did not love myself 
and in many ways, uh, in my first years as a, uh, as an adult, I m- my sense of self came through being a, a principal and being very good at it and in helping other people step into their power. And I had a much better relationship with myself um, as I as I grew and got older. But when I left um, being a principal, I suddenly thought, well, who am I? If I'm not being a principal, who am I? And I recognized that a lot of the relationship with myself was conditional on what I did for other people. And I think there's many people, particularly women, I think, that they feel good about themselves when they are nurturing others, but they don't nurture themselves. And I have to say it's taken a lot of work. You know, my brother used to call me thunder thighs. Now, they weren't that big. Um, And my my little brother, sadly no longer with us, um, knew that it wound me up and so would do it all the more. But when I couldn't walk, one of the things that I recognised is, you know, whatever shape they are, whether I've got cellulite or not, my goodness me, I wanted their functionality. And so, you know, a little... Ever technique, and it sounds so silly, is that when you're having a shower, make friends with your body, wobbly bits and all, mm-hmm. you know, as you wash your hair. Thank you, hair. I'm really pleased I've got some. Thank you for covering my mm-hmm. hair. Thank you, skin. Mm-hmm. And when you get to the bits you really don't like, just thank them for their functionality. Mm-hmm. And gradually, as you do that, you start to make friends with yourself in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Our bodies until they let us down, we take them for granted. They're the most amazing piece of machinery, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And so I think starting with our physicality is a good thing. But for me, I think the thing that made the difference is, am I using the same criteria for myself as I do with other people? And one of my values is fairness. Mm. So I think of a, um, you know the pans of the... Um, the scales of justice. And I think to myself, okay, am I using the same criteria? If somebody else did that, would I think this was terrible, mm-hmm. okay, quite good, or brilliant? Mm-hmm. Well, now let's use that for myself. And I think once you start to use that as the measure, it's quite an easy construct to go to. You know, who's my best friend? How would I then? judge them, and then start to judge myself. And I, d- I think it's one of those things you've got to work at because there are times, I went for a photo shoot last week because um, I'm going to have a, a TV show going around America and they wanted some promotional photographs. And when they came back, I, this bit under your neck, you know, I could <laughs> bottle um, and I, I don't like it. Um, <laughs> and I looked at the photographs. What was the first thing that I honed in on? It was that my little wattle under my under my chin, rather so than immediately looking for the thing that you think might look bad. And how many of us do that? Well, let's continue. I want to talk more about this in just a moment. We're going to take our second break here. Um, we'll be right back with Gina Gardner in just a few moments. Military families often sacrifice precious time away from loved ones while serving our country. And for those with children, the separation can be especially difficult. We were worried that with him leaving, that she would lose those connections with her dad. Some of life's best moments happen between parents, children, and the pages of a good book. 
United Through Reading provides that connection. You can watch your mom or dad read a book to you, and it almost feels like they're really there. We ensure they remain a consistent, meaningful part of their children's lives, no matter the distance. Just seeing Jacob recognize Daddy again after a long time just melted my heart. And now, as we're facing greater isolation from our loved ones, United Through Reading is also available to veterans. Learn more about United Through Reading and download our free secure app at unitedthroughreading.org. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Gina, so yes, um, I want to pick up right where we left off, which is when you were talking about getting ready to take your TV show around America and, you know, and you were getting your pictures back. And the first thing you look for is, you know, for you, you were, you were laughing about, you know, like the waddle on your neck or, you know, people are looking like, oh, do you know, do, do, I, do I have my muffin top hanging out over my pants right now? Like, can they see any bulges anywhere? You know, and we, we tend to instantly look for what's wrong with us. One is if we looked at a picture of someone else, we were rarely going to obsess about what we see on them. You know, I'm reminded of, of when we had open evening for parents and I'd always be the last one to leave and each member of staff would come in and I'd say, how's it gone? And they'd talk about the one parent who perhaps uh, wasn't happy or the child that, that, you know, there was an issue. And I'd say, well, what about the other 29? Oh, they were all wonderful. You know, our human nature is that we will um, that we will focus. If you're not mindful, not conscious of this, we will focus on the negative. There are very few, in my experience, and it works out about five percent and ninety-five percent. There are five percent narcissists who think everything that they do is wonderful and that <laughs> everybody else is wrong and they're right, and then the rest of us. Um, varying degrees, I think, are overcritical of ourselves. And so for me, one of the things that's made the difference is learning that actually you the stories we make up, the judgmental stories that we make up are the problem. Mm. And sometimes it's just a question of recognising that they are stories and that we can... It just is. It's neither good nor bad. It just is. And so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to whittle and worry about it? Or are you going to accept that that's who you are or that's how you look or that's you know what's going on? Now, I need to put a caveat. That does not mean that you settle for second best. That does not mean that you think, oh, what can you do about it? I can't improve. Quite the opposite, indeed. Those things where you can grow, where you can improve, where you can evolve, absolutely, I think it's your duty to really make that opportunity um, as positive as you can. We're card-carrying students the whole of our lives. (laughs) But those things you can't change. And I think perhaps my disability has given me the opportunity to learn that. Those things that you can't change, the only thing you can change is the way in which you deal with it, the way in which you approach it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a big part of that is look at what I can do rather than what I can't. And I learned that lesson as I came out of hospital 
wheelchair bound first and second time. I've learned to walk twice as an adult. Mm. If nobody left a cup or the kettle filled um, on the counter, I could not make a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. But I could go to school and I could use my brain, my mouth, my hands, and I could make a positive difference. Mm. Now, that's a very big difference. But mm-hmm. most mm-hmm. of it's in our lives. There are ways that by looking at and focusing on what we can do, mm-hmm. rather than focusing on the lack and the things that are going wrong, mm-hmm. you know, where our energy goes and our, it follows our focus. And so that seems to get bigger. Mm-hmm. And, so, and I think, yeah, I love that. I love that how we're, what the pieces we're focusing on and uh, environment has taught us to look for the the imperfections because we feel like as growing up, that's what people were looking at in us. That is so beautiful. Thank you, Gina. And just from knowing you myself, anyone would be so lucky to be able to work with you with the light and love that you share and the incredible wealth and wisdom and experience um, that you bring to everything you do and teach. So we want to wrap up already. I can't believe it. So um, this is the end today of Gina Gardner and Friends Reversed because I get to interview Gina. Learned so much about you today, Gina. Any parting words before we go? Just to say thank you very much for this opportunity. And Scotland herself is an amazing lady. Go and check her out. And where can they find you? Sure. AnnScotland.com. If you're listening, that's A-N-N-E-S-C-O-T-T-L-I-N. Check me out and you can find my links on social media there. Thanks, Gina. Thank you so much. And please join us for the next episode. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Gina Gardner and Friends, the show that helps you live a happier, more successful, and fulfilling life. To learn more about Gina Gardner, go to genuinely-u.com. If you would like to work with Gina or book her as a speaker, email her at gina at genuinely-u.com.